All right. Well, it's good to have all of you here with us and uh, just really excited to, to bring the word today. Uh, I do apologize. We're having some technical difficulties with like some screens and stuff. So just bear with us. And, uh, and it's not really anybody's fault, but if it was somebody's fault, I wouldn't tell you their name, but I would say that it would, it would rhyme with, with uh, Andy Davis. No, I'm just kidding. You know how technology is, man. It's finicky, so it's all good. If that's the worst thing that happens to us all day long is that one TV and service didn't work, I think it's going to be a good day. Amen? Amen. And so uh, we are in a series called A Walkthrough First Peter. And, and just kind of a reminder what a walkthrough is. A walkthrough uh, was, was something that, that, was, that was started here, and, uh, and it was started with Pastor Aaron, who's now the lead pastor of Fusion Madison, and uh, Pastor Jim, who who is um, who's the assistant associate pastor here, but one of the founders of, of Fusion Church. And uh, guys, keep praying for him. He's battling. He's battling, and his family is, is just working hard. And, and um, we love our Pastor Jim and, and Missy and all their kids. Lord, we just pray right now that you would just put your hand on Pastor Jim today. We just ask that you would continue to touch his body, Lord. We believe until the very moment you tell us that's not your plan, that you are going to bring healing to that body. And so we just proclaim miracles and healing and restoration to that body today. And God, I just, I just pray blessings over them. And uh, just, be, just be glorified in that, I pray in Jesus' name. And uh, I hope that Pastor Jim and Missy are watching and listening. So if you are, we love you guys. And we just um, just continue to lift you guys up. We love you very much. Can you guys give it up for Pastor Jim Stribe? What? I, I, said, I said to him the other day that he's the guy I hope to be when I grow up, but that's probably not going to happen. I'm probably not going to grow up. It's just probably not going to happen. So anyway, we're in the middle of a series, and um, Pastor Jim and Pastor Aaron, I'm sorry, I just felt like they need to pray. Um, Pastor Jim and Pastor Aaron had heard the statistic that there's this whopping number of followers of Jesus, people who go to church, who sit in the pew, who, who, who claim Jesus as their Savior. And they have never read through an entire chapter of the Bible. And mind-blowing, right? And so the idea was, let's go through these books of the Bible, and let's read the entire chapter, and then we'll go in and isolate whatever the Lord's laid on our heart, and we'll talk about that. But at the end of that series, they've heard the entire book of the Bible. And so we've done all kinds of them. We're in 1 Peter. Now, 1 Peter is quite a bit more of a complex writing, and so it's a little harder to keep up with. So we, we really just got to kind of focus in. Last week we talked about, and I, I would say the biggest takeaway that we hit last week was, was stop playing the comparison game. And we talked about so often we judge our blooper reel up against someone else's highlight reel. And at the end of that, we feel like we're just not worth anything. Moms are watching moms on, on social media and they think I can never compete with that when really... That's not really who they are. It's just who they present to the world that they could be. And so, or what happens is you, you play the comparison game and you judge your highlight reel against someone else's blooper reel. And that gives you a sense of pride and a sense of arrogance. And, and it's really easy to do that, especially with the fair going around. And you, you go and just kind of do some people watching in the fair. That's a boost to the, to the confidence right there. I'm just going to be honest with you. I love people watching, man. 
So anyway, we're in chapter 2, and uh, we have a guest reader for uh, this chapter, and so we're going to start with reading chapter 2. Our friend Johnny is back, and then we're going to get right into it, so give it a listen. Chapter 2. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Again, you know, we've, we've done a lot of these with uh, the Apostle Paul, and now this is Peter, and just the way that he writes is different. And so sometimes it's hard to keep up with. So what did he just talk about? And there's so many things that we can highlight in there. We could talk about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. We're going to mention that in a minute. We could talk about all kinds of things. We could talk about submission, and we could talk about we could talk about submitting to one another. We can do that, but I want to tell you where the Lord took me as, as soon as I started reading this. There's it's almost as if the this one passage of scripture is just one one verse just kind of jumped off the page at me amongst everything else. And it's verse nine. And I want to share with you 
what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Not just his light, his marvelous light. I want to share with you because that I love I love that verse. And I think it's I think it's powerful because it's what God says about you. There's what you say about yourself, there's what the world says about you, and then there's what God says about you. And sometimes it's hard to believe the thing that God says about you because he believes in you more than anybody else does. Even yourself, right? And it sounds like a nice thing to say. Until you sit down and really think about what these things mean, and then it becomes really, really powerful. And that's what we're going to kind of focus on. And so remember first who Peter's audience is. We talked about this last week. His audience is the body of Christ. He's talking to Christians here. So this is directed to you. Do you hear me? Everybody take your hand, do this, and do that. And that's who God's talking to here. Okay? Do you understand? And so here's what he's saying. And before he does that, he says these words. He says, but you understand that makes a comparison. I talked about not playing the comparison game last week, but God's allowed to make comparisons. Amen? So what he's saying is, but you. So there's a comparison to something else. What is he talking about? So when you see something like, but you, or therefore, then you ask, why is that there? Let's move up. And so he starts with talking about chapter, chapter 2, verse 6. He says this. He's talking about the chief cornerstone. It says, therefore, it's also contained in the scripture. And, and Jesus, Jesus quotes this, and it's from the Old Testament. It says, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. That's not talking about you. You're not the chief cornerstone. All right, this ain't the Truman Show, and you're not Truman. Okay? This is about Jesus. So then it goes beyond that, and it says, Therefore, you who believe, who's that? Good. Okay. I was making sure. I wasn't sure if you guys were tracking. All right, good. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, check this out, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So he he starts off talking about other people that aren't following Jesus, the ones who don't know him as Savior. What has he become to them? And this is a big thing. This is important. He talks about the chief cornerstone. Do you know what a cornerstone is? I feel weird talking about cornerstones and bricks and stuff. When I have a person here who's a professional bricklayer, I'm going to screw this up. So just do your best to bear with me, Chris, all right? But a, but a cornerstone is, what t- is, is where the corner happens, and it ties the corner together. It's not just a, it's not just a clever name. It actually... It actually serves a purpose. Am I doing okay so far? Okay. And he says, a stone which the builders rejected. He's talking about Jesus. And what he's saying is those who have built this system and those who have built like this way of thinking. Right now he's talking about like the Pharisees and the, and the people who kind of led the church at this point in time. They have rejected him. 
Have you guys ever, who's ever been to Lowe's before? Okay, well, I'm just trying to make sure we're all awake today, okay? I feel like, I'm, I feel like it's a struggle this morning. You guys, you are, we are driving the struggle bus and half of you are asleep on the way, all right? So, <laughs> but not the driver. The driver's awake a little bit, I hope. So, you guys, you've been to Lowe's, and how many of you guys have ever, like, been, and, you're, and you, you, you have a, a uh, project you're working on, and, and rarely is this me, because m- nobody trusts me to do anything with wood or projects or anything. It's just bad. Somebody always gets hurt. But you go, and you're trying to find the right piece of wood. You're trying to find a two-by-four. And, and you go, and you start grabbing them. What, do, what does everybody do? You pick it up, and you look down to see if it's straight, Right? You look to see if there's any rotting. You look to see if there's any cracking. And then you look, and there's like this whole pile of just like reject boards, right? Right? That, that like boards that are so messed up that you could use them to make rocking chairs, but you couldn't hang them for, you couldn't use them to, to make studs, right? And so that's the, that's, that's the material that's been rejected. And later it's sold at a what? Discounted price because it's of a lesser value, Right? That's what the religious leaders of the time was saying about Jesus. Think about that for a second. That he's not worthy to be used. That he is, he is dysfunctional. That he, he should be discounted because he's less than what it takes to finish the job. This is what they were saying about him. And what God says is, the stone that they all rejected is more than just a cornerstone. He's the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone is important because it's what ties all that together. Right, Chris? It ties all that together. I'm confident now. Thank you. Yeah, it ties all that together. You didn't know that. It ties all that together. And so what happens is, is the chief cornerstone, not only does it cause one wall to meet another wall, but it holds them together. And he's saying that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, which what that means is you have God and you have man, and now because of Jesus, they have come together, and he's the one who holds the whole thing in place. Aren't you thankful that we have that in an all-sufficient Savior? Amen? Did you understand that's what that means? That not only does he hold the entire thing together, but also everything is built off of that moment. You got to understand something. The comparison starts with the truth that those who don't believe in Jesus, this truth that he is who he says he is, is a stumbling block for them. And it always will be. I'm not talking about believing in little g God because People are okay with you believing in the little G God. Have you ever noticed that? You ever noticed when somebody gets up and they say, I just want to thank God. People are like, oh, okay, that's nice. Okay, yeah, I can get behind that. But when somebody says, I want to praise Jesus, people get offended. Have you ever noticed that? It's because it's now a stumbling block of offense for them. Because they now understand that if I'm going to, if I don't believe in Jesus and, and this is, he is who he says he is, then everything rises and falls on him. Something's got to change and it's not going to be Jesus. It has to be me. And so when you mention Jesus, not little G God, not higher power, please, if you're telling people you believe in a higher, higher power, like grow a spine and tell them his name is Jesus, will you please? Thank you. And maybe you don't understand how important the name of Jesus is. Well, guess what? There's a preacher by the name of S.W. Lockridge who's way, way, way better at preaching than I am. And he's going to tell you a little bit about him. So watch this video. It's called That's My King.
The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Amen. I love it. I love it. He he describes it so much better than I could. I I don't. He that's a, that that pastor has been gone for a long time, but I really wish I could just sit and listen to him preach for hours, man. But it's true. That's who he is. And the and the world struggles with the identity of who Jesus is because if Jesus is who he says he is then something's got to change in my life. 
And so that's why it's a stumbling block. But let's talk about what he says about those who believe that truth, that Jesus is who he says he is. What does he say about you? This is important. You want to know what God has to say about you as a follower of Christ, right? So what does he say? Let's read it again. Verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let's just take a moment and let's just look at what he's saying here. So the first part of that, that he says, you are a chosen generation. Remember, he's talking about you. And I understand that maybe you don't understand what he means when he says you're a chosen generation. If you look at the Greek in the words chosen generation, what it, what it actually says is the words eklekton genos, which I don't know about you. I was thinking, I was like, man, that sounds like the name of like a Greek fighter, a Greek boxer that was like destroying everybody in his path before Rocky had to fight him in Rocky 17 line, live from Shady Pines Nursing Home. You know what I'm saying? Doesn't like, I am, in my mind, I picture Giannis Antetokounmpo, the, the, the basketball player, seven foot, the Greek freak, just a huge dude. That's who I see in my mind when I hear the words on genos. But what, what it really means is elite family. Did you know that? So what he's saying here is when you, when he says you, you are a chosen generation, what he's saying here is he's saying that you, Fusion Church, I'm talking to you right now. You may be sitting in your seat thinking to yourself that you don't have anything to offer. And what he says is that you are a part of a band of brothers and sisters in Christ, a family that I have elected according to my purpose and I've called by name that they should reflect my glory and that they should show the world around them that there's a God who loves them and has a purpose and a plan for their life. You are that eclecton genos. You are that chosen generation even when you don't feel like you are. Doesn't that change just the entire way that you look at the scripture? And understand this. There are people in this room, even right now, you hear me say that, and here's what you think to yourself. Yeah, that may be true for the people beside me, but not me. I'm saying he's saying it about you. If you have confessed Jesus as your Savior, he's talking about you. PT, if you knew how much I struggled, look, I get it, okay? I drive the struggle bus too. If you you knew how short I fall, I get it, I fall short too. If you knew how close to the edge I was just to fall flat on my face, I get it. I've been an edge dweller before, I understand, But still, God says you are a chosen people. You are an elite family, a band of brothers and sisters, a family in Christ that he has called by name and set apart for his glory. Doesn't that just change the way you hear it? Now, maybe you think to yourself, and I I think it's important just to remind you of this. Maybe you think you don't have what it takes to be that person. Let me just remind you, God hit me square between the eyes with this truth. Blew my mind. Are you ready? Every person in the Bible that God ever used, with the exception of Jesus, was deeply flawed. Find an exception. Find somebody other than Jesus that didn't have flaw. Find somebody other than Jesus that didn't have their shortcomings. 
You look at Abraham. Abram, at the moment, everything's going to be built off of him. He's going to be a father of many nations. He lied that his wife was his sister so that he didn't get killed over her. I mean, you look at some of the things that some of these people did. David, David cheated a man out of his wife and ended up having him killed. A man after God's own heart. Everybody who was used in the Bible, with the exception of Jesus and him alone, was deeply flawed. So if you're here and you're like, PT, I'm deeply flawed, guess what? Join the club, but you're in good company. You are an eclecton genos. You are, a, you are an elite family. You are called by name, by God, a band of brothers and sisters that he's called for his purpose. Amen? What's it say next? You are a royal priesthood. And I understand that this can be confusing. It sounds a little churchy. You're like, what, what does that mean that I'm a royal priesthood? Do I, do, I have to, do I have to make sacrifices? Well, you'd definitely find yourself on the news if people found out about that. <laughs> well, there's, there's the duties of a priest, but then there's the representation in the heart of what that priest means. And when he's calling and he's talking about you, he says that you are a royal priesthood. What does that mean? Here's some of the things that a priest was supposed to accomplish. Number one, I'm not talking about the duties. I'm not talking about his everyday job description. But here's some of the things that a royal priest would do. Okay, number one, he reflects God's glory to the nations. So when God says, you are a reflection of his glory to the people around you. You may not feel that way, but if God says it, it must be true. Right? Even if I don't feel like that's what I am, then it must be what I am. Right? Because God said so. So, so you are to reflect God's glory to the people around you. In Exodus chapter 39, he was talking about Aaron, and he was, telling, he was telling Moses, God was saying, I want you to do all these things. I want you to, 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 get, to get garments made for him, and I want everything to be perfect. I want everything to be on point. He's got to look good. He's got to have all the right stuff. And meanwhile, Aaron is sacrificing. He's making a sacrifice of a golden calf to a, to a God that he's given credit to getting him, out of, him and the people of Israel out of Egypt. At the same exact time... That God is saying, I want you to adorn him with all the right things because he's going to minister to me as priest. Do you hear that? That he may minister to me as priest. Do you understand that you were created for not only fellowship with God, but you were created for his pleasure and your presence ministers to him? Did you realize that? And again, I just it kind of it kind of is the same thing, but I'm just going to repeat it that you are a representation of Jesus to the world. We think we're just supposed to be churchgoers, but the truth is the true believer in Christ is a royal priesthood. If you have a relationship with Jesus, then you are that royal priesthood, even in the midst of your failing, even when you fall flat on your face. I think the problem is, is that when we do fall flat on our face, anybody other than me fall flat on your face? 
I almost strangled a person with my bare hands at Walmart yesterday. I'm, she, she, boy, her husband's lucky. Oof. It's a lucky, lucky man to have her. That's all I'm going to say. She was dropping all kinds of language in the line, and she was yelling at this woman because this woman apparently said, said like uh, some things under her breath about this lady. I can't imagine why she'd have a problem with her. And this woman's just cussing her out, like dropping all kinds of language. And she's like, yeah, I hear you whispering under your breath. And I'm like, well, I'm not whispering. I'm saying it loud. Can you watch your mouth? Because I got young ears here. And I said it kindly. Wasn't mean. But what she said to me was, was slightly discourteous. And we'll leave it at that. Some sign language. And then her husband comes out and she is three times his size. And I'm like, and she's like yelling about this girl and yelling about me. And I just see him look at me like, please don't get me into a fight with that guy. <laughs> I wouldn't even fought him. I just would have laid on him. It would have been game over. Like George, George Foreman style, late in the 10th round. Just, <laughs> you done? You had enough? And she said some things to me. She said things, and I, I just simply said to myself, boy, she is lucky that the old Terry is dead. And that's all that I have to say. And there have been times where I haven't handled it near as well as that. I can't tell you that story, at least not today. Whew. Three weeks ago, too. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you in person. Don't, you don't want to know. But, but the people watching, it's in the deals. But the fact of the matter is, even when you feel like you fall short, God says, you're my royal priesthood. You minister to me. You reflect my glory to the world around you, and you represent who I am to those who are lost and dying. That's what he says about you. It's not what I say. It's what he says. What else does he say? So he says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. The next thing he says, you're a holy nation. What on earth does that mean? But here's what happens. God throws out kind of an if then, that if you will live life as this, then, then there are things that I will do as well. And so when you look and you see that, 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 that here's what he's saying, our part is to be a nation of people belonging to God, people set apart for the work of the Lord. Understand this. Do you know what the word sanctification means? Sanctification means to be set apart for something special. When I was a youth pastor, Lori, you were a part of this. We would do a retreat. And Jen, you were a part of this too. We would, we would do a retreat and we would take one day and we would separate our guys and our girls. And we would do, an, we would do a conversation with our guys and just challenge them on what it means to be a man of God. You know, this whole like toxic masculinity thing, we, we, we didn't talk about that. We talked about what is it to be a man of God? Because to, to be a godly man is not toxic, right? So we did that on this side, but on the girl's side, they talked about how do you value yourself and how do you see yourself? And remember the illustration that you guys came up with? And basically what they did was they had, they had three different cups and one was a styrofoam cup, one was a ceramic mug, and one was like fine china. And they, and they kind of had this tea party for the girls, and they had all kinds of like 
chocolate, and I wouldn't have went. There was no meat. So, but they had like chocolate and you know strawberries and tea, and it was it was a nice time. But but this is what they said to the girls. They said, "Which of these cups do you see yourself as? Do you see you as the styrofoam one that's just worthy of being discarded?" Do you see yourself as a ceramic mug? It's good for everyday use, but there's nothing special about it. It's dependable. It's reliable. It's going to get you through the day, but there's nothing special about it. Or do you see yourself as the piece of fine china worthy to be put on display, save for a special occasion, set apart for something great? Which one of these do you say that you are? Because God says, you're the fine china. You want your daughters to hear things like that, right? Amen. Amen. And, and really, the body of Christ has got to begin to see ourselves that we are a people set apart. We're not supposed to be out of the loop of the world, but man, are we supposed to be set apart so that the world sees that there's difference. And remember, we talked about this last week. There's always going to be a difference. Maybe you feel strange being around all your friends in public. You're going to be just a little bit different because you carry the name of Jesus. That makes you different. And so you are a holy nation set apart for the work of the Lord. That you would respond to rebuke, to the Lord's rebuke. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he corrects. And I'll just say this. Discipline reveals character. I've coached many different kids over the years. Felt really old when I realized the other day that I coached a kid in Little League whose father I coached in football. I was like, oh, oh. But at least I'm not as old as Wes, so that's good. <laughs> so I coached kids, and I remember uh, if, I, if, I, if I got into a kid and I got on his case, it was always because I saw something better than what he was doing within him. And if a kid would respond and he'd be like, all right, I'm on it. And he would, he would run faster the next time or he would try harder the next time. I knew that I had myself a ball player. But if he went and pouted and sat in the dugout and whined, then I knew I'm not gonna focus as much on this one because correction reveals character and he needs to work out his character issues before I can coach him. Correction reveals character. And if we are going to be a people that are set apart for God, we have got to hear when he corrects us and we've got to respond versus reacting. I've talked about the difference between responding and reacting. Amen? This is who he's called us to be. And if we will be those people, if we will live righteously for God, that's our part, God's part. Listen to what he said in Exodus 23. And, and, and in the words that he used, it was, it was in the same exact vein. If we, and so when he says a holy nation, here's what, here's what God's part is when a holy nation, I will prepare a place for you. This is found in Exodus chapter 23. Here's his promise to his people. I will prepare a place for you. Not only will I prepare a place for you, but I will bring you into that place. Check this out. I will be an enemy to your enemies. Let me stop right there. Do you know why I didn't say one more word to that lady? Because I thought to myself, you know what? She doesn't have a problem with me. She got a problem with him. I'm his. She's talking to me like that. God, you deal with her. And I believe that when she got in the car, God had something to say. I believe that. 
Hopefully she didn't respond to him the same way she responded to me because that would be bad. He will be an enemy to your enemy, an adversary to your adversaries. He will bless your bread and water. That's what he says. I will bless your bread and water. He says he will remove sickness. He will cause us to be fruitful and he will enlarge and increase our boundaries. That's what he says. So when he says you're a holy nation, he says this is what a holy nation should look like and, 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 and live like. And that is that you would reflect God's glory. You would be willing to respond to his rebuke and that you would live righteously before him. But if you will be that holy nation, then here's what I'll do in your life. I'll set you apart and I'll, and I'll, and I'll prepare a place for you and I'll take you to that place and I'll bless your coming and your going and I'll bless your food and make sure you always have enough and I'll make sure that you're healthy and I'll make sure that you're strong. And I'll call you by name. You will be mine and I will be your God. That's what he's talking about when he says a holy nation. So he says, you are, these are the things God says about you. This is awesome. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are his own special people. Now, that's not the sarcastic way that I would say it to my kids as a youth pastor when I'd be like, quiet down, my special little people. He's saying you are his special, his special people. What makes us special? Fact of the matter is, you have the same blood running through your veins as anybody else. Amen? What makes you special? You put your pants on, one leg at a time, unless you're an acrobat who's really talented, then you can maybe do two, right? There's nothing different. So maybe, maybe it has nothing to do with how we're structurally built, and maybe it has everything to do with who he says we are. And maybe it's because he set us apart for a special mission. Maybe it's because his calling on us is what makes us special, Maybe it's because the things that he says about us as followers of Jesus is what makes us special. It's not, it's not us in and of ourselves. We are, we are, are people who were born into sin, just like, Jesus, just like David said. He said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me, Psalms 51. So that doesn't make us any different than anybody else. We're all on the same playing field. The thing that separates us and, and makes us his, his special people is because he's called us by name and we responded. And so now he has set us apart for a mission. And what does that mission look like? Next thing it says is that we would proclaim his praises. If we're not people who praise the name of God, who is going to do that? I don't understand how churches can be so quiet on a Sunday morning during worship when we have been given a great salvation and we have an all-sufficient Savior who looks at us and loves us, not only loves us so much, but also saw that there was a problem. There was that thing separating God and man, and he became the chief cornerstone that tied God and man together and holds it all together, and everything is built on that moment. How on earth do we roll into this place and be quiet? How do we stand during worship like this just waiting until it's over with so that we can hear the word and then sit through the word like this, just waiting to hear it and be over with so that we can get to Golden Corral. Yeah. 
We've got the best story that's ever told. We've got the best gift ever been given. God looked at us in our state and said, not only do I want to do so, I'm going to give everything I have for them. And you feel like less of a person and you feel like you're a discount, but Jesus said, I'm going to pay full price. That makes you priceless. And so all we have to do is proclaim his praise. This should be the loudest place in the county every Sunday morning at 9 and 11, 15. We also proclaim what he can do in someone's life. It says that you may proclaim the praises of him, but then also proclaim that he has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You know what the problem with so many followers of Jesus is? You have gotten so used to the light that you forget what the darkness looked like. Did you hear that? You can get so used to what the light looks like that you forgot what darkness looked like. Yeah, I've been living for Jesus now longer than I haven't. I finally hit that moment where it, where it changed, right? 19 years old. I'm so used to living in his presence and, and being called his that I forget that there was a moment where I wasn't. There was a moment where I showed up to church in a devastated, broken state and that I felt like I had no purpose and I felt like I had no destiny. I had, I had just dropped out of college and my dreams of being a college football player were over. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I was drunk all the time. I was, I was dating two different girls, one of which was pregnant with another man's baby. Yeah, I know, it's weird. I walked into this place desperate because all I ever knew was darkness and when I caught a glimpse of the light, it changed everything. Changed everything. I saw clearly for the first time in my life and from that time when I was 11 years old to the time I was 19, those years where I just, I just made destructive decision after destructive decision, God delivered me from it. But now I've been a pastor and a man of God and a, and, and a husband and father for so long that sometimes I lose sight of the fact that I was ever in darkness to begin with and you take the light for granted. We can't take the light for granted. We've got to proclaim that he has brought us out of darkness and brought us into his, not only his light, but his marvelous light. Because there are people in your life that are still in darkness and they need to hear how great life and the light really can be. They need to hear what he can do in their life. And the only way that they'll know that is by you telling them what he's done in your life, how he took you out of that moment of darkness, plucked you up, and put you in the light. Go ahead and stand to your feet. This is who God calls us to be. Look, it would be a waste if he calls us a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy gen generation, a holy nation, his own special people, and then we do absolutely nothing with it. We just become a club that's his chosen people, that's his royal priesthood, that's his, all the other stuff I said. <laughs> Holy nation, that's, a, that's his own special people, but we do nothing with it. How tragic would that be? But if you are who God says you are, then you have to do something with what he's done in your life. You have to proclaim his praise 
Guys, Saturday night, six o'clock, can we just come together, men, and can we proclaim his praises? Who cares what people look like? Who cares how it looks or how it sounds? I've heard some of you sing. It's going to be a struggle. It's all good. But can we do it? And can we tell the world based on the way that we live, because he has called you by name, you're enough to do it. And can we proclaim that there was a time when you walked in darkness, but he has ushered you out of that darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. And he can do it for them as well. Amen? Amen. I will never look at 2 Peter chapter 9. 1 Peter chapter... I will never look at 2 Peter chapter 9 because there's no 2 Peter chapter 9. There's not one. You can look. It's not in there. I will never look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the same again. Life-altering. As I began to study it, God just blew my mind. And if you will take this truth with you wherever you go, you will begin to rise above the things that are petty around you, and God, God will use you for great things. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you guys. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to open up the altars. And if you're here today and you need prayer, maybe you have a hard time believing that this is who you are. Even after you've heard it, then we want to pray with that. We want to pray with you about that because you need to see who you are in Christ. Maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. I want to talk to you about that because it begins right there. Maybe you're just struggling. Maybe you've got physical pain. Maybe you've got emotional pain. Maybe you've got a marriage issue. Our prayer team's going to be up here. You can come and meet us here. Or you can go to the sides and pray by yourself if you want. But when we leave this place today, we leave this place remembering these words. I'm going to read it one more time. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much for calling us these things and calling us by name. Thank you that Jesus gave all as the chief cornerstone, even when he was rejected by the ones building. And Lord, we just pray that we would live a life that reflects what your word says about us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Turn the music up some. Altars are open. If you want to come and talk to us, come and talk to us. We're here to pray with you guys. We love you.